Hello, this is Kumbasike, this is Connor, and this is episode 38. Today I'm talking to Harry D. Kusama. Harry is a football journalist who's worked for 442, Press Association and more, specialising in Newcastle United and European football. Harry is the author of Black and White Night, How Sir Bobby Robson Made Newcastle United Again. Harry, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, thanks very much for having me on. I'm really, uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Great stuff. So then let's start a bit with your background then, um, Harry. You're obviously a football journalist. Do you mind telling me a bit more about life growing up and what made you want to get into football? Well, I love football um, from pretty much the age of three. Uh, I was, a, you know, I had season tickets at Newcastle, lived in North Yorkshire in England, so a little bit of a trek up north. But um, my, my dad was born in Gateshead, so I went to school in Newcastle. That's where, that's where the connection came from. And we, it used to be a, a big thing for, for me growing up was going to watch Newcastle um, play and, uh, but the football thing, I think you know, my my brothers love football. My my eldest brother is is uh, is is currently a soccer coach in America, having gone out there on a on a scholarship at uh, university. But in terms of loving the actual game itself, from a watching perspective and a and a um, you know a a real sort of purity, not just playing it, you know, I think. I had that more than they did, and it, it led me to want to see football in a different way. I, I, I looked into possibly coaching um, because playing wasn't a real uh, possibility for me, both ability-wise and, and, and because of, uh, of, of a disability that I have cerebral palsy. Um, I think that, uh, that basically I, I viewed football in a different way, coaching... It, it was. It was. It quickly became clear that wasn't something that I, I really um, could do. Uh, then, then the, the 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 journalism thing came because I loved writing. Uh, I loved analysing football. Um, I loved thinking about it, talking about it, giving my opinions on it. And obviously, when you put all those things together, there's only one direction you're going to go in. And and quickly, um, you know, around the age of sixteen. I started a blog and then I went to university and got my degree and uh, I was, I didn't really want, I love journalism now as well, by the way. I think that's also, you know, I'm very intrigued in how the news cycle works and uh, current affairs and that sort of thing, how, how news breaks and, and all the sort of different facets of journalism generally. But that started because I wanted to be close to football and I, I don't have any inkling to be a journalist in any other sort of sector. Um, and I never did. So, so football, it started off as a way of getting close to football and, and, and thankfully I've been able to do that. Okay. And so then you start your blog, you go to university. What happens then in regards to your journalism career within football after university? After university, it was a case of starting um, going to, uh, you know, finding websites to write for. I was doing a little bit of that in, in university as well, um, obviously unpaid um, at the time just to get experience. Um, I, you know, I would be careful about if I was giving advice to people about 
out of university being, you know, sort of where, where you expect to be. It's very difficult to find a path. You get sort of sold some dreams that don't necessarily work out. Um, but I, but my grounding for what I actually ended up, you know, really doing, which was going to matches and now, now I'm, I do, you know, interviews and that sort of thing. That all started at university when I did my, um, so my, my degree was actually a journalism degree, but I did a sports journalism module with a, with a northeast football writer as the as the lead uh, lecturer, and he was able to take me to games at St James's Park in the press box, games at the Stadium of Light in the press box, and um, and I also have, while running parallel to the to the journalism and trying to get in and network and get places, I also did a sort of data collection job at, some, at, at, at matches in the Premier League in the Championship, um, which allowed me to, to access to press boxes before I actually did that for a. For an actual job so that allowed me to to make you know my face was familiar to people and then I've sort of built a built up a, a sort of level of networking since then uh, which has helped but I think generally um it was a case of just you know find, trying to find anything that stuck um you know as long as it was as long as it was football I didn't mind and I think that was probably a mistake in a, in a sense because I ended up doing some things that I didn't particularly enjoy and I, I don't think really worked out for me particularly well. Um, and then, but then you, you, you start to, to streamline what you, you know, you start to find things that are, you're allowed to write articles on your, give your opinions, you know, do interviews, that sort of thing. It sort of develops from there. And the weird thing about being a freelancer for my entire career is I don't feel like I've had my big break. I don't know if that big break will ever come in terms of, it's not like I've woken up one day, had a job offer, and then it's like, right, you know, it's 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 where it's tangible and you can tell when, when the, you know, it's a sort of thing that you can build around. I don't think I've had that because I've done a lot of, you know, the, the, my clientele and, and that sort of thing and the, the level of work I've has done is developed. But as a freelancer, it, it's, it's feast and famine, especially at the, the moment during the pandemic where you can tell uh, how difficult it's been, you know, in terms of, you know, I woke up one day in April and half my work had gone and then other things had happened and I've lost and gained in, in the year since. So so basically it's, it's a very difficult sort of thing to do when you're a freelancer to, to sort of quantify your career, I find. So, um, it, yeah, it's, it's been a fun ride. Um, and there's, there are great things about freelancing that I love, but after university, it, it, it's a very difficult thing because there's so many, it's such a competitive entry. So many people want to be football writers that that you have to stand out from the crowd, and it takes a lot, a long, a long time to sort of realize how to do that. I think. Yeah, I see. You've mentioned that um, you haven't really received a big break, or ever it will. Has maybe in your early years, or maybe now, has there been any kind of football companies or any football writers that you've looked at and aspired to get towards? I know you've written for 442, Press Association. Are there any more that you think, okay, I'd really like to go there? I mean, I, I don't particularly want to, to name names because that sort of thing, you, you know, that sort of thing can, can follow you around. But there are plenty of people, like in terms of co uh, companies, but in terms of journalists, Absolutely, there are a number of different people um, that I've I've got to know and 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 who've been great for advice uh, in terms of 
you know what they think and you know and you know how their how their careers work but um you know people like George Colkin at the at the Athletic Chris Woff at the Athletic both Newcastle United writers Sid Lowe the Guardian Graham Hunter uh, who's a Barcelona based journalist Samuel Marsden the ESPN Barcelona based journalist these are various different people so my my interest going back to the first question quickly my interest in football wasn't just Newcastle United you mentioned it's European football as well so I, I had a wide interest in football and that has allowed my my sort of desperation to, to soak up knowledge to go beyond just the the people I see on a on a weekly but I saw on a weekly basis at, at St James's Park and when I was doing you know going to matches um I wanted to speak to people who who covered as you say European football as well um but everybody's career is different everybody you know some people you won't believe the sort of level of of luck that they've had when they've fallen into obviously it's not all luck. You've got to have ability. You've got to have talent. But you've also got to be in the right place at the right time. And some people have had opportunities come to them, fall on their lap because of something that other people will never be able to to get because they're they're not in, because they're not in the same position in life. Not just in terms of ability. It, there's so many other factors that can that can get you to where you want to be in this career. So I think that yes there are lo- there are lots of people that i've that i've I admire and that i've got to know and it's brilliant to talk to them and get their advice but you'll never get the same advice from from two different people and i think that's something that's that's definitely worth remembering that you've kind of just got to find your own way and sort of try things and see and see where you go and and be you know just it, effectively there is a lot of luck about it in terms of being at the right place at the right time so uh, well, to have my my you know my ambitions in in in, in life and in my career, um, you you can't afford to just have an ideal place where you'd want to work and then refuse to go anywhere else because that's not how it works. You've got to you've got to wait for the opportunity to come to you. Some and sometimes it just doesn't happen. You know, um, sometimes it doesn't. Ha- you know, there, there are so many talented journalists out there who, on paper, haven't had the careers that other people have because they haven't had that sort of opportunity come along for them for whatever reason. So it's difficult to, to sort of say that, 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 there are, that, we're, that there's a path that I want to follow and that I think I can follow it because there's so many different factors that can impact that. Okay. And so then let's move on to the book then. What was it like writing it? How did that all come about? So I wanted to write a book... Um, you know that was an ambition of mine was to write a book because because of the reason I've just said about freelancing and you know um, being in control and not being in control the one thing I felt like if I if I can do that if I can get a book it's something that can that can be the focus for my journalistic um, you know my, my journalistic focus for it for a while and it can be something I, I want to I can build myself around that is in my control. I will not get sacks from that job. I will not lose that job because it's because it's a book that I'm writing. So that's why I, I kind of wanted to do that. That got escalated further just by chance by the pandemic. The, the book was already in motion by the time the pandemic hit um, last March. I pitched it a few days after lockdown started in, in the UK. Uh, then you know, it consumed me for the first, for the major part, up until the summer, really. Um, and then it sort of 
when 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 it started to take shape, I was able to sort of pad it out a little bit more. But but it 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 was a it was a brilliant process that I I loved doing, and it was um it was fantastic to 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 fulfil that ambition by and also but also it took on a second meaning in that I as I was losing those other bits of work, it allowed me to focus on something. It allowed me to to really keep my own keep myself on track because it's so difficult as I'm sure you're aware and I'm sure so many people listening are aware how how for everybody to keep themselves on track in, in the last year because it's been such a such a difficult year in so many ways um you know people don't know whether they're coming or going and, and I was able to maintain that even though I was losing other work because I had the book and that was a really big thing for me at the time yeah it's good obviously as you've said with this tricky year that has happened in the last 365 days that mm. you had a project to go into and really focus your attention on. I think that would have been so valuable, especially during, you know, the heavy lockdown. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's you know, as you say, the heavy lockdown. So basically I, I pitched it, um, but I also was, I'd also done a couple of interviews partly to, to strengthen the pitch uh, beforehand and then I carried on doing interviews while waiting for the pitch to get accepted by the publishers knowing that partly because I was confident it would get through partly because if it didn't get through with that publisher and I went and did these other these other interviews and it strengthened my ability to pitch to another so you know I I was just I was just focused on it so much at the time um, that it, it it really sort of desensitized me not not in any way to the to the to the difficulties and the and the heartbreak and the and the harsh reality of the of, of life as as we were going through but in terms of you know that pe- when people were losing work or were furloughed or were you know not working for whatever reason they would they would perhaps lose that sort of focus and that that structure i was able to maintain that because the book even before i mean i didn't get the book officially accepted until may i didn't sign the contract till october so um so for a long time there was nothing official that said that the book was going to happen but i just carried on because it because my view was if it if it didn't happen with this publisher it could happen with somebody else but even if it i mean it, it would have been a disaster if it didn't actually come to fruition it would have felt awful but at the time it was you know, the, I wasn't necessarily thinking of holding the the the, the, the finished art, finished copy of the book, if you like. It it was just when I was, you know, doing a bit of research on Sir Bobby Robson's team, or watching a, a DVD on the on the era, or on Bobby himself, or reading a bit of an article, or doing an interview. It gave me that structure that I was in danger of losing because I've lost all the other work and world and the world was being turned upside down. Mm. No, I definitely think that with that, there was a lot of valuable tips that you could have taken into your life at that point. So I'm glad that that has all come to fruition for you. Now, we've spoken a bit then about your career and how you got into football and journalism. What often we speak about on the podcast is comeback from adversity. Now, we did an interview in December, I believe, after I saw an article you wrote yeah. uh, explaining kind of your journey with cerebral palsy. Yeah. Would you mind telling me a bit more about what it was like growing up then with cerebral palsy? 
It was difficult. Um, I mean, my cerebral palsy is, is very, very sort of, it's, it's mild in a sense. Uh, it was expected to be much worse than it ended up being. So I've, I've been able to get through life, you know, in, in the bigger sense with no problems. The, it's almost sort of strange with the sort of smaller things that, that, that I struggle with on a daily basis that, that, that are the difference rather than the, you know, I'm not, I'm not confined to a wheelchair. I can, you know, my, my, my vocal sort of my ability to speak isn't, isn't badly affected. I can walk properly. So the, the big things more or less I've been, I've been okay with the smaller things that, that sort of made it different. And my brothers, I think I've mentioned, you know, that I mentioned one of them is in, is in America the other one is 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 also very active and very, you know, they, they were leaving behind so many different ways. And um and I had a I grew up with an inferiority complex towards the pair of them, if I'm if I'm being brutally honest. Um so it was more of a, a mental thing and, and you noticing in this sort of small tiny ways how different I was to to other people and how difficult it was at times, rather than sort of, you know, and and, and that and, and in a way that's better than obviously being it, it being worse and then you having to deal with it in different in, in more sort of really big ways in terms of not being able to do those things that I mentioned like walking and talking properly and things yeah sure but, but even but even the the sort of the 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 tiny little things they were sort of like it, it almost made it more difficult in a way because you know I felt like I could do it but I couldn't and then it was a so so it was difficult, but you know, um, I've never really seen it as a as a big as a big a big thing. People ask me how difficult it was. It was difficult, but also at the same time, I don't know any different. So I would say, if you know, you see these people who get cerebral palsy or get other illnesses or, or disabilities or are permanently affected by disease or by you know, or over time, and then they have to reevaluate themselves and change how they live that is much more difficult than what I've gone through because as, 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 as difficult as it, as it has been and how jealous I've been looking at other people being able to do certain things that I haven't been able to do. Um, I think for me, it, it's nowhere near as bad as, as somebody who, who had all those things, was able to do all those things and then suddenly woke up and they couldn't. That, that must be much worse than, than what I've had. Okay, I see. And so then... What would you say the main challenges are that you face as a result of it, maybe on a daily basis? This could be, I don't know, related to your career or related to your personal life. What do you think they would be? Well, I think if I was able to drive, for example, my life, my life and career would be much more simple. I said in that article that we wrote that you that we spoke about and, and that, you know, in December that right that, that being able to drive not being able to drive is a big problem within my career. And, you know, of course it stands to reason that, that sports journalists, given that they have to go to different stadia or different settings for interviews or whatever across the country, they need to be able to get around. Um, but that has been, has had a direct impact on my confidence or my, um, you know, my ability to get jobs because people, um, because people, 
there isn't a set. I said in the article, there isn't a setting where people are, are open to talking about that yet. And and it's very so. So if you if you say you can't drive as a and you see a job application, you may as you know. I felt like I may as well put it, you know, put my laptop down and, and walk away. Um, but the 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 fail, the not being able to drive, is the biggest way of being able to show, of showing how how little independence I have in comparison to somebody who doesn't have have cerebral palsy and is able to drive um, because I can't I'm reliant on other people to get me places I'm reliant on on a bus service or a train service which isn't you know in my control so it's taken that fundamental control out of my life that that would make it much easier I think driving is the one thing that I really wish I could do but um that is not a cerebral palsy thing. That's a that's well, it is a cerebral palsy thing in that my eyesight is affected um, in, in in a way uh, which is why I can't drive because of course you can get modified cars, but driving because of my um, sort of partial sight, um, that's that's why, and I'll never change. So the, there are there are problems in terms of not being able to drive that that have really affected my personal and professional life. I think. Right, okay. And so then, I mean, I'm, I know this is possibly a slightly difficult question to answer, but um, for people also going through kind of cerebral palsy who might be, I don't know, unsure if they can get somewhere in their career, you obviously have faced that challenge, yet have still managed to achieve a lot in football writing and journalism. What things would you say to somebody kind of struggling to adapt to their disability in just going for it and getting what they want i think the key thing is is to i mean the the, the thing about my life and my career is there's a lot of stuff i can do from where i sit right now you know um i did a, i did the whole book via phone interviews um and you know you do a lot of work on, you know, and, and the, the world has, has shown how adept it is to work to people working from home and that how, you know, that daily commute while sort of being a cultural thing for certain for certain countries. And Britain has tried to make that point across the across the last year when when in the summer when they tried to make people go back to work for a, for a stage, um, you know, I think people are waking up to the fact that you can do more work from home. So that is a benefit for somebody with a disability who can't get out or doesn't have the confidence to, to, to stand in front of somebody. And I have confidence issues. You've just got to realize that, you know, I, I find that I found that people, that the people who I never had, I've never had a comment about my disability um, from other journalists when I've been at a match or something like that, or anybody in my professional career, I've never really had any comments or questions since I was a child, generally. So, um, but but there are I mean that there are fundamental, as I mentioned in that article, there are fundamental issues, and like you know prejudices. I don't think I don't know if it's a prejudice or just that people haven't aren't aware of the of the of the issues that 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 life in you know journalism for or or, or general work for people with disabilities, but. Um, you know, people are waking up to that. It's slow, it's slow, and people need to wake up faster, but it, people are beginning to wake up for it. So, so 
specifically with freelance journalism, because, um, and we don't know whether full-time work can be done from, you know, more full-time work can be done remotely. Um, but, you know, free, but freelancing has allowed me to be able to, to work from home, which has allowed me to, which allowed me to, you know, the whole point of doing that article was to sort of explain that I had a disability. And a lot of people who had never met me, I think if you'd met me at a game, you, you would see it and it would be obvious, but, um, but people who hadn't, who hadn't met me and only saw, saw me, but, you know, only spoke to me across the internet wouldn't be aware. So they were surprised. And it was a, it was a, it was a, a, a bit to sort of raise awareness, but also as, a, as to, to try and answer that question, to try and show people that, that, you know, despite everything, it's still possible. Freelancing is a good way to go with that. Um, I would suggest freelancing is an ideal place to start for anybody in journalism anyway, because you've got that control. You can decide what you want to do. That's the positive. The obviously negative side is if the work dries up and you haven't got any money or you haven't got the control or the sort of over your career and security, there's, that there are, there are positives and negatives. But from a, from a disability perspective, um, doing as much work from home as possible. Uh, and we've as I said, we've seen how the world can, has leveled up in terms of working from home. Then there, there could be a positive outlook in that regard. Mm. Okay, I like the insight there, Harry. And so, coming up to the end of the conversation, really, kind of the final thing I really want to, you know, pose to you: what kind of aims do you have for the future? Uh, any more books? Um, anything else that you kind of want to delve into? There are a couple of ideas. I mean, the, the natural progression after one book is to do another, and I caught the bug for sure, but the thing about the first idea for the book, the Bobby Robson idea, that was a, you know, that was my club at, 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 at my time, if you like. That was the team that I supported as a boy growing up. First going to matches was that was Bobby Robson's team. So, and nobody had done that. So there was different ways of, so that sort of jumped out at me. If I'm honest, at the moment, there aren't things, I've, I've got a couple of ideas that I'm speaking to a few people about, but generally there's nothing there yet in terms that makes it obvious as, as a direction to go for the next book. But principally, yes, I'm interested in doing another book. Um, constant, you know, getting back in the stadiums because I haven't for various different reasons, even though I've had the opportunity to go to a couple of grounds and, and got accepted, I've decided against it myself for different reasons uh, in the pandemic. So I can't wait to get back to a stadium safely. Um, that would be something that would be great. And just generally, you know, I'm, I feel like I want to be working for the best people possible. I'm open to, to full-time employment, but it would have to be right for me. I, I, I love, I mentioned the positives and negatives of freelancing. I love the, the positives more than I find difficulty with the negatives, if that makes sense. So yeah, definitely. So I love the the idea of being at home and 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 being able to take a two hour lunch break if I want, or not work that day if I want, or whatever, and not feel the pressure of somebody. You know, I do love that, but at the same time, um, if the right opportunity comes along, then fantastic. Um, at the same, and I and so my my aim is just to see where my career goes in in in, in any way. I think that I love doing interviews and 
sort of big long form pieces is my favorite thing at the moment because of the book in part, but also because of other things and chasing those things. I've done a few of those articles lately and those, those things that are great, but I also want to become, you know, stronger at, at, at you know, breaking, breaking news and the news sort of side of it. It's something that I, I, I haven't quite got to grips with in my, it's only sort of five, five years into my career since I left uni. So, or six now, um, but the, the, so, so there's a long way to go. Um, we don't know what, the great thing about being a freelancer is you don't know where it'll take you. And I'm really looking forward to, what, to, to seeing what happens. Okay. Well, thanks very much then for this chat, Harry. Really enjoyed having it. Really enjoyed the blog we also really did. And I wish you all the very best for your future endeavours. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks for having me.